Our scripture text this morning is chapter 34 of the book of Genesis. So let us stand for the reading of the word of God. Genesis 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. And he was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Give me this young girl for wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. Then Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. And intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift, and I will give according as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem, and his father Hamar with deceit, and spoke to them because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do such a thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us, so that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Now these words seemed reasonable to Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are friendly with us. Therefore let them live in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us and to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not your livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will live with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain 
that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. And they killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and all their wives, even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of this land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I shall be destroyed and my household. And they said, Should he treat our sister as a harlot? You may sit down. That's a terrible chapter, isn't it? Terrible chapter. This is going to be one of my shortest sermons. <laughs> and last week, the, the chapter was so beautiful, wasn't it? Uh, Esau and Jacob had reconciled to each other. Jacob thought that Esau was coming with his 400 men to kill him, and yet God changed both of their lives. God changed Jacob's life by his special grace. God changed Esau's life by his common grace. And the, these two brothers made up and became friends to the point, and they kissed each other and hugged each other. Beautiful story. Uh, Jacob offered Esau a bunch of money to show him that he was sincere about uh, being sorry for the way he treated him. And Esau offered Jacob 400 soldiers to protect his family while they marched through a land full of enemies. Uh, Jacob had to press Esau to take the money. Esau pressed Jacob to let his army of 400 men precede them into this land to protect them. But ultimately, Jacob refused. And the reason he refused the protection of Esau and his army is because he had learned through the years that you cannot blend the sons of the serpent with the sons of the woman. That God wants to keep separate those whom he loves from those whom he hates. So there will not be any blending or any synthesis between the church and the world. Because when the church starts looking like the world, God will treat the church like the world and bring his condemnation on it. So ultimately, even though they were reconciled, they went their separate ways Jacob was the first of these great patriarchs to be able to settle in the promised land and enjoy the covenant promise of the land and build a house, build an altar, and live with his family there. Chapter 34 is about the collapse of the antithesis between the church and the world. The complete collapse between Jacob's family and everybody else's. It didn't take long, apparently, for that wall between church and state, between church and uh, the world, to break down. And I, I wasn't kidding when I said this is a terrible chapter. Everybody in it committed terrible wickedness, everybody. Dinah, Jacob's only daughter, Balea, 
Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Amar and Shechem, the leaders in this city, and even Jacob himself. They committed every kind of sin imaginable. They considered, this is an R-rated chapter, by the way. They uh, raped uh, Jacob's daughter. Shechem did. Uh, Jacob did not take the whole thing as seriously as he should have. Dinah was more interested in fellowshipping with the girls who lived in the pagan land than she was being pure and separate from them. Apparently, Jacob had not taught them well about the difference between the church and the world. Simeon and Levi were murderers, controlled by their anger. I mean, everybody sinned against Almighty God. I want to look at these sins. I want to see what they did and what the consequences were. For the consequences of these sins were also terrible. And remember, what you're talking about is the family of Jesus. You're talking about the mothers and fathers of the church. You're talking about the ancestors of the Savior of the world. That makes it even more evil to think about. The consequences, genocide of the city, all the men in this city butchered. Uh, Jacob is an old man later on. In his dying moments, cursed his two sons, Simeon and, and Levi. So, this is a great chapter to study. See what the consequences are of not keeping the difference clear between the church and the world, which is a command that God gives us in one way or another throughout the entire Bible, starting with Cain and Seth and the great conflict between them. Cain and Abel, even in their mother's womb, were hostile toward each other. And we see that throughout history, one of the most important commands that God lays upon his church is that we be different. That we don't live like the world, we don't look like the world, we don't think the way the world thinks, and we keep our lives and our worship and our children separate from this world. We practice segregation, not racial segregation. Racial segregation is not something commanded of us in the Bible. But we practice ethical segregation. We keep separate from the world so that we do not look like the world. God wants a people in this world that will be faithful to him, that he will bless down through history. I want us to look at some chapters. We've looked at some already, but it's constant. It's over and over from the first chapters of the Bible all the way to the book of Revelation. There's this command, keep the difference clear between Egypt and Israel. Keep the difference clear between those whom God hates and those whom God loves. Keep the difference clear from the, between the church and the world. Keep the difference between your family and your neighbor's family clear. Because if you live the way your neighbors live, God will treat you like he's going to treat your neighbors. 
So let's turn to some verses. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. There's a lot we can turn to, but let's just turn to a few of them. And let's start with the first verse of this chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is the time of Moses, right before they enter the promised land. They've gone through the wilderness now for 40 years, and now they're rededicating themselves to the Lord, and they're going to go into the promised land. Chapter 7. And the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and shall clear away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, and you shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, show no favor to them. That's how God wanted to treat Israel to treat the other nations that were in the land of Canaan. Destroy, destroy them, defeat them. Don't let any remnant of their culture remain. Don't make any covenant or alliance with them. And don't show them any favor. You see how important this thing is to God of keeping the antithesis clear. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. The whole work of the kingdom of God and the advance of Christianity can unravel in one generation. You know the great speech that Ronald Reagan gave. He said, freedom can be lost in one generation. What he could also have said is Christianity and a Christian social order and a Christian moral order can also be lost in a generation. The children of Israel that went into the promised land with Joshua were probably the godliest generation of Israelites in the Old Testament. And by their second generation, they were worshiping Canaanite gods and intermarrying with Canaanite women. Now, God has blessed us through the years here at our church with all kinds of little babies. We are having babies all the time. Don't let your children intermarry with unbelievers. Their earliest days, before they can even understand you, tell them Christians should not marry non-Christians. And beat that into them. So that every now and then you ask them, should Christians marry non-Christians? Make them understand how important that is. The earliest days. Verse 4, why? Why are you supposed to not intermarry with them and be so... Uh, aggressive toward them and not have any covenants with them. Verse 4. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. You start acting like the Canaanites you start intermarrying with them. You start living with them, acting like them, and they'll turn your son's heart away from me. And then my anger will be quickly kindled against you, and I'll destroy you like I do the Canaanites. Verse 5. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars. Forget religious pluralism. What do we have in this country? Well, we're a pluralistic nation. 
Uh, you have your own free will to worship whatever God you want to worship. Only problem is you don't have the right to worship any other God than one. God has not given anybody the right to worship any God but the one true and living God of the Bible. Therefore, you don't have any responsibility to protect, to, to, uh, protect anybody's alleged right to freedom of worship, any God they want to choose. You see, the sacred cow in this country is religious liberty. You can worship whatever God you want to worship, as long as you're sincere. God has given us the right and the freedom to worship according to our own choices. No, he has not. If you worship any other God than Jehovah, you will go to hell. That's what religious freedom is. Samuel Rutherford was the great Scottish preacher in the 1600s, and he said, religious liberty is God giving everybody uh, the freedom to go to hell. So, you do not allow, you do not support or agree with letting people worship the gods of their choices. Verse 5, but this you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars. You shall smash their sacred pillars and hew down their asherim and burn their graven images with fire. Let's put it in modern lingo. Mosques and Hindu and Buddhist temples should not be allowed in the United States. Allowing people to publicly worship the God of their choice is a crime. That's why we have such a problem with immigration. The Democrats will never solve the problem. The Republicans will never solve the problem because they both believe in religious pluralism. But if we were to outlaw mosques, Hindu temples, Buddhist temples, etc., and not allow people to worship those false gods, it would cut down on illegal immigration right quick. Verse 6, why do you do all this? Are you not going to be so loving? You're going to tear down their false temples. Verse 6, for... Because you're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. But repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to his forefathers. Read that over and over. What's it saying? God 
treats differently those who hate him from those who love him. And therefore, he wants you to keep separate from those who hate him. Hey, now let's turn to, you say, well, that's Old Testament. Let's get some loving things uh, in the New Testament. All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you'll remember, that's in the New Testament. And let's see what God says in the New Testament. Verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I'll be a father to you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Turn to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18. And let's read verses 1 through 5. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive her plagues where her sins have piled up as high as the heavens, and God has remembered her iniquities. Babylon is any culture built upon a principle of revolt against Almighty God. It would be America. And what is God's word to us? Come out from her. Don't imitate her culture. Don't imitate her goals. Don't dress the way she dresses. Don't raise your children the way she raises her children. Because everything about Babylon is evil and immoral. And if you play a part in that culture, and that becomes your culture, then God will treat you like he's going to treat Babylon. He'll treat your children and your grandchildren like he'll treat Babylon. So you see, from Genesis to Revelation, you have this call to keeping the antithesis clear. Separate yourself, not in any kind of isolationistic way. But don't live the way the world lives, and whatever happens, don't let your children live the way the world lives. And that was the great sin of Dinah. Let's go back now to 34. That was the great sin of Dinah. You wouldn't consider it a sin today. All she did was fellowship with the Canaanites, girls. Go to parties with the Canaanite girls. You don't know anything about whether she was immoral or not. It says, Now Dana, Adina, the daughter of Leah, 
whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit and to fellowship with and to have a good time with the daughters of the land. What's wrong with that? She just wanted to have a good time with the other world, other girls her age, doing what girls her age did, enjoying what girls her age enjoy. What's wrong with that? It's destroying the antithesis. These were pagan girls, and she was disregarding the wall between her and them, completely disregarding the fact that God had put a difference between her and all the rest of the young girls her age in the land of Canaan. That's devastating. It breaks my heart when I see young women from sound churches, teenage women, a little beyond teenage, love being with non-Christian girls more than they love coming to church and being with Christian girls. Now, these girls don't have to be overwhelmingly evil. They're just not Christians, and they don't live the way a Christian lives, and their priorities are not those of Christians. They, our girls get their standards of dress from the girls of the land. Girls get their preference for music from the girls of the land. Our girls get their standards for living from the girls of the land. That's all she did. She got raped. It wasn't her fault. She got raped. So you see, all of this terrible, terrible, terrible chapter takes place because Dinah wanted to spend her time with all the other girls in Atlanta, Georgia. she did that's how, God, how seriously God takes all this so she was enjoying fellowship the other girls her age in the land but they weren't Christians they didn't have any love for God there were people who just lived the way everybody lives in Atlanta, Georgia. All she did. Verse 2, And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw he took her and lay with her by force. It's always a danger when you fellowship with the other girls of the land. Always a fellowship. Always a danger. Don't identify as God's people. You don't spend your time with God's people. You spend your time with the people of the girls of this world. There's a good opportunity you will get raped, and your daughter will get raped, and your granddaughters will get raped. So Shechem was a prince, powerful young man, saw her admired her beauty, and forced himself on her. And violated her. But he was also deeply attracted to her. He also came to love her. And he came to speak tenderly to her. So it started out, his attitude toward her was one of pure, violent lust. And then as time went on, he really did fall in love with her. Verse 4, so Shechem spoke to his father Hamar, saying, Give me the young girl for a wife. I want to marry her. 
I wanted to be more than just my mistress. I want to marry her and I want her to be my wife. Verse 5. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. He was so angry and so grief-stricken that he was there by himself, nobody to talk to. All his sons were out in the fields working, and he just had to hold all this in. And his hatred for Haman, Hamor, and Shechem for violating his little daughter. Verse 6. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, was went out to Jacob to speak with him. If there's anybody that had any conscience, it was Hamor. It was the father. Now, he's embarrassed about what his son did to Dinah. So he goes out to Jacob to try to make things right. Verse 7, Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. Rape's called violation for a very good reason. Verse 8, But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give him to her in marriage, Jacob. And intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to his father and to his brothers, If I find favor in your sight, then I will give you whatever you ask for. Ask me ever so much, bridal payment, dowry, and gift, and I will give according as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. So Shechem and Hamor were trying to make things right. They didn't know anything about the antithesis. He said, let's just repent. We're sorry. We'll give you whatever you ask for. We'll give you property. You can trade with us. We'll give you money. Our daughters are intermarried with your daughters. We can just be one happy family, one big happy family. No antithesis. Just one big happy family. Think that about the world. You are a fool. Because there is an antithesis between your family and everybody else's family. God wants to keep the difference clear between those whom he hates and those whom he loves. Hamor just wanted everything to be happy. And verse 13, But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit and spoke to them because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. So now, Jacob's sons are out for revenge. They're consumed with anger. Their anger has no restraints. Shechem and Hamor must be punished for defiling our sister. So, let's trick Jacob. Verse 14. And they said to him, Oh, we're too Christian. That's not really there. And they say, We can't do this. Can't let you marry our sister. 
be one happy family. Because the Bible forbids us to give our sister to somebody who hadn't been baptized. That's what circumcision was in the Old Testament. It was the sign of the covenant. It was the brand that God put upon his people in the Old Testament like baptism is the brand in the New Testament, identifying them as God's special people. They're not to make covenants with the world. So now these brothers are acting so spiritual. They say, uh, well, we can't do all this because God requires our sisters to marry only people who bear, have bear the sign of the covenant, the sign that they belong to God. We belong to God, and we're God's special people. So we're not going to let our sister marry somebody that hadn't been circumcised. Verse 15. Only on this one condition we will consent to you. If you will become like us and every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. They didn't understand a thing at all about circumcision, did they? They didn't understand one thing about covenant. They didn't understand one thing about God's grace. They understood nothing about how Christians would be separate from non-Christians. They said, just be circumcised, and everything will be okay, and then you'll be able to marry our daughters and our sons will be able to marry yours and we'll all be one happy family with no antithesis. Verse 17, but if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Now their words seem reasonable to Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son. They don't know anything about covenant theology. They don't know anything that God hates anybody. They don't know anything about the antithesis. Sounds good to us. That way we can all be at peace. We can tolerate each other. We won't be mad at each other. We'll just be one big happy family. Verse 18, 19. And the young man, Shechem, did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are friendly with us. Therefore let them live in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them, and everything will be okay. All we have to do is to consent to have every male in our city circumcised. It's worth that little inconvenience. See, that's a great sin itself, treating the holy sacrament of baptism in such a cheap and dishonorable way. Um, verse 22. Only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us, to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised, uh, circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Just think, it's one little inconvenience, and we get in on all the wealth of Jacob. So Hamar wasn't quite the man of integrity. 
It'll be financially worth it. Get circumcised. We'll get in on their wealth. Verse 24. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamar and to his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate and the city. So everybody in this whole Canaanite city now has received the sign of the covenant. Just so everybody can be one big happy family and they can share the wealth. Verse 25. It came about on the third day, which medical experts say is the day in the whole process of circumcision when the man, the male is in great pain. Pretty helpless. Pretty weak. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male in the city while at their weakest moment. So getting them circumcised was simply to get them weak so they could go in and commit genocide. This is the church. Verse 26. Simeon and Levi killed Hamar. He killed his son Shechem with the edge of the sword. He took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. And Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city, and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth, and all their little ones, and their wives, even all that was in the houses. So these brothers of Dinah just went crazy. Like a couple of bloodthirsty killers. And their sins were even greater than Shechem's sins. They become bloodthirsty murderers. They abuse the sacrament of, of uh, circumcision simply to trick the men of Shechem. And then at their weakest moment, Simeon and Levi ride into the city, slaughter every male, then take captive children. Verse 28, they took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field, captured and looted all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you brought trouble on me, boys. That's a real strong rebuke, isn't it? Brought trouble on me. I'm making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and my men being few in number. They will gather together against me and attack me. And I'll be destroyed. My household. Great faith. Great self centeredness. But they they said, Well, Daddy, you don't want us to treat our sister like a harlot, do you? They deserve to all be killed. They deserved all their wives and children to be sold into slavery. 
They deserve for us to steal everything out of their houses. Seems like that's the only proper thing to do. Jacob says, yeah, but if you do, my neighbors won't like me. Neighbors shouldn't like him at first anyway. He's, what is he doing? Jacob is denying. He's saying, uh, this, this antithesis thing is a burden. I'd rather be at peace with my neighbors than have all this hostility and everything we're going through. So, finally, we're out of this chapter. Probably never preach on it again. It's the consequences. For one young girl wanting to make friends, all the other young girls in Atlanta. And God kills all the Shechemites. You see, God's hand was in this too. But even though we can't justify Simeon and Levi, Nevertheless, we can see that it's God's judgment on the Shechemites for worshiping false gods, for being on the wrong side of the antithesis. So make sure you're not on the wrong side. Teach your little children day one people whom God loves and there's people whom God hates. Destroy all those whom he hates. God loves you, little daughter, little son. God loves you. You bear his brand. He chose you to be in the family of God. Now you live the rest of your life like somebody that's a part of that family. Lord, what a weary chapter that is. It is, in some ways, very discouraging. See how the people of God, the covenant people of God, lived during the time of Jacob. It's not only a discouraging time, it's also an encouraging time. Because nobody got away with anything. Sovereign grace upon your people and you deal with your enemies with justice. Inflexible justice. We thank you for both. So Lord, help us to live like the people of God. Bless our children, our grandchildren. Bless all the children of this church. To live holy lives as children of the holy God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.